On this episode of the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, my guest is Joel Williams, a CMF Church Catalyst missionary with the Turkana people of Kenya. I wanted to revisit the topic of disciple-making movements with Joel and to get some insight into this model for ministry. He will share some powerful stories and what it looks like to try and follow Jesus' model for ministry a little closer. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to the Fellowship. Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International. I'm your host, Jake Moore. And today we are continuing our conversation on disciple-making movements, DMMs. And I have the privilege of having a conversation with Joel Williams, a church catalyst CMF missionary in Turkana, Kenya. Joel, welcome to the Fellowship Podcast, man. Hey, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to Excited to virtually be here, so yes, to speak. It's great to be together. Thanks to technology and the blessing uh, of the internet, we are able to talk with you all the way over there in Lodwar, Kenya, about disciple-making movements. So it's pretty phenomenal uh, to have this opportunity. We're going to dive into hearing some stories and the ways that you have practically lived out in your ministry disciple-making movement principles and discovery Bible study principles. But before we start getting into those stories, I'd like to just take a couple of minutes to hear a little bit about you and your family and uh, what what brought you guys to Turkana and to CMF. So tell us about your family. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm here with my wife, Rachel, and our three kids. Um, we have Lorelai, Juniper, and Atticus. So they are uh, in the descending order, seven, five, and three. So two fun, girls, fun ages, fun ages. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, um, we always wanted to, to have them two, two, two. Um, I'm one of seven kids and almost all of us are like two years apart. So what um, seven kids? That's, that's nuts, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, I never want to have seven kids. <laughs> um, I am very close to my siblings. And so I, mm-hmm. uh, we did, we wanted to do that, um, that two year age mark. Cause we know yeah. how i I've gotten to witness how um, close you can be when mm-hmm. you're that close in age. So it's not fun having multiple kids in diapers. At the same time. But <laughs> no, no, it is. It is nice being done with all of them being out of diapers. Yeah. Uh, what, can you briefly in a nutshell, give us a glimpse of how you connected up with CMF and then ended up in Turkana? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, usually the way I tell the story is always that I'm a missionary because of my wife in a lot of different ways when we, first met, she's always felt called to international missions, whereas mm-hmm. um, I've always been felt called to work with youth and youth leaders and and uh, be in that world, but, um, and said that I would go at a drop of a hat if God did call me, but mm-hmm. it was always kind of just lip service. But my wife, Rachel, um, went on her first international mission trip when she was just 14 years old, actually wow. talked talk the youth minister. She was too young to go on the trip. But she talked the youth minister into letting her go. Um, nice. And then the youth minister talked her parents into it. And from that time, she's known she wanted to be an international missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically. That's so cool. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I'm here because of her. I, when we started seeing each other, I, um, I had a frank conversation with God and kind of just 
uh, came to the realization either I was going to compromise my wife's call to be an international missionary, or he was calling me to put my money where my mouth is Mm -hmm. and um, go where he was calling me to go to. So uh, my wife, when she was in college, she was actually a CMF intern. Okay. Uh, Reveal didn't exist back then. So it was kind of before that time, but she, she went and spent three months with Mohi doing uh, doing Che community health mm-hmm. evangelism Mo- in Nairobi, Kenya, right? Yeah, that's right. In Nairobi, yeah. um, she traveled outside of Nairobi to a few different few different areas. She mm-hmm. actually had the opportunity to come to Ken- to Turkana. Um, uh, Mohi at the time was in the beginning stages of mm-hmm. taking over a couple of the schools that our team had up here, and. Um, she had the opportunity to come up and she, she jokingly says now that she's glad she didn't, or we wouldn't have come to live (laughs) in this scrubby um, desert. She was, it's probably good. Yeah. (laughs) Uh But no, so that's, I mean, when you fall in love with the beautiful, lush, colorful green of Nairobi, Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's your image of, of Kenya. Right. And then, um, and then five years later, you move to Kenya with your, your family but it's not to that. It's to a desert. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a pretty big, pretty big switch that's been for sure. On. But um, so yeah, that was that was back in 2011. So almost 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, with our first introduction, both to both to Kenya. Although my wife had been to many many different countries, Morocco included. Mm-hmm. Um, she hadn't been to Kenya until 2011, and then um, and then I went in 2014 around the time we affiliated with CMF officially. Okay. Was it a vision trip? Did you come over here with like David Giles or someone like that within the organization? Yeah. So I, I, uh, it was a vision trip. We actually had already affiliated with, Mm -hmm. with CMF at that time. We had done our, um, our affiliation in April and then in November of 2014, I came. Cool. Um, I had actually been, um, working with a tribe remotely, just kind of using a Socratic method through emails. I'd been working with the Kalenjin tribe, Hmm. um, the the Kipsigis specifically. Uh Um, And um, we, I had helped basically through a Socratic method of asking questions and, and through their answers, filling in a, a, an outline of a curriculum developed a Christian version of their tribal upbringing ceremony. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and very much, I mean, very much, uh, partnership oriented where mm. ultimately all I did was provide, provide an outline. I asked, asked questions and plugged their answers in, but they built the curriculum. Wow. Um, that's cool. Um, and then they ran with it. And so in 2014, they had been using it for a little over a year in 2014. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I came in 2014, I got to go down. Um, I actually, went down uh, with Joshua Barron, who's on the, on the KCAT team at the time. Yeah. And we spent some time down there and got to assess the implementation, did a leader training wow. uh, there, that, um, that curriculum. And then went up to Lodwar as well. Um, <clears throat> and spent a lot of time with the Mordens, mm-hmm. um, up in Turkana. And, uh, yeah. Uh, wow. there, was, there was a moment in 2014 we were leaving a specific house and at the time they hadn't been placing missionaries in the bush anymore mm-hmm. um and we were li- leaving a, a house out in the bush and and i said 
um, said to Gene, this, this is where we're going to live. He goes, well, we haven't been putting people in the bush, but that's wild. You say that I said, as I'm leaving, I'm having this feeling of, uh, homesickness was the best wow. way to describe it. Uh, yeah. You can imagine what that felt like. I was like, yeah. no, this is, this is where God's going to place us. And two years later, that's where we were living. So man, that's phenomenal. Yeah. I love that the spirit was drawing you to that place and making you have that real strong sense that this is going to be your new home, your new place to live and serve. And so you all have been now serving the Turkana people up there in Northwest Kenya for a little over four years. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, cool. So you mentioned doing stuff uh, in curriculum development and uh, working with Josh Barron and some other folks with this people group that I, I'm not familiar with, but you said they're in southern Kenya. Uh, the the Kalenjin are are located on the western side of Kenya. Most okay, of okay. Out on the more in western. Okay. But you were looking, you're looking at the Turkana, you're looking as you're affiliating with CMF of moving to Lodwar or to a village uh, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Turkana land, a scrubby desert. But we're, this is kind of coming back to what we're wanting to focus in on today. And that's Mm -hmm. disciple making movements. So you've had this experience with another tribe and, Mm -hmm. and helping them kind of be guided along in the process of, of taking contextualizing the gospel and taking certain principles within their culture and linking that with the gospel. Mm-hmm. How did that play in with you as you started learning about disciple making movements? I think I'd maybe want to even start, like how do you define a disciple making movement and then, yeah, so and then go I from there. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I, I think first I can, I can say on our team, Rachel and I, <clears throat> Rachel, my wife does health education. She's a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she works, um, she works with Che community health evangelism. Yeah. And, and I was brought onto the team to primarily work both in discipleship and in, um, in youth curriculum development, youth ministry development. And okay. So that's kind of, kind of what I do. Almost um, similar to what you had done with that other people group in Western Kenya. You thought CMF kind of had this vision and you had this vision of, I'm going to do something along those same lines with the Turkana, but kind of focus on the younger aspect of, of the tribal demographic. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. The, you know, when you're, when you're doing partnership and you're partnering along with existing national churches, uh, which is where our team is in their development, right? Mm-hmm. They help plant, uh, you know, hundreds of churches. Uh, many of those became a national church now known as the CCC. And we still partner with the CC, primarily with the CCC, but with other national churches too. So the nature of that, when you're partnering with existing national churches, is that, <clears throat> um, is that, your role is defined by their needs, right? Mm-hmm. In a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of different ways. And so with the youth ministry or with um, curriculum development or whatever the ministry is, Che, for instance, um, you only want to provide, you know, their provide what they're not already doing themselves. Right. right? So mm-hmm. when we, when we did join the team, um, the, the CCC had a, a natural structure for, their youth ministry to fit into. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my role was just helping them 
uh, get people in those roles and mentoring yeah. leaders and stuff like that. But ultimately they, they had a lot of the bones of youth ministry all, all already figured out. Okay. So my it's just you, you were just them. helping them flesh that out in those early mm-hmm. stages of your ministry with the Tricana. Yeah. And so kind of bringing that all back around now, one mm-hmm. of the primary things we do amongst the youth is, uh, and their leaders is helping them catalyze disciple making movements. Even awesome. And so, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so yeah. So then, okay. So then how did you make the jump then to focusing on the disciple making movement piece, that model or strategy for ministry? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So when we first got here, we spent a little, it was like a year and a half, uh, in language and culture training. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the things I did during that time was travel into, um, almost all of our target areas, target regions, and our partner regions within Turkana, and just spent time. Uh, I made a point to spend time in in each of those regions at least three different um, three different times over the course of that year and a half. Really cool. getting to to know the leaders, spend time with them, mm-hmm. uh, get an opportunity um, to let them teach me as I was learning language and learning culture. And, mm-hmm. um, they definitely did, uh, plenty of goat <laughs> roast, plenty of, uh, time over chai. Uh, mm-hmm. and so, at, when the time came for us to transition into ministry, a lot of the relationships, uh, both with cr- Christian leaders in those communities, but also mm-hmm. with, um, with people in the, the communities who were not believers at the time, a lot of those relationships had already been formed and, uh, I felt like the spirit had kind of already picked the people hmm. that I was gonna I was gonna start with. So um, uh, there's actually a story. There's two pastors. They've both been a pastors uh, pastors of <clears throat> pastors with the CCC for about eight years, and they were waiting for us to start ministry. And when I came to ask them, uh, they were good friends by that time. But when mm-hmm. I came to ask them to join me, they actually told me this a story that they had both. <clears throat> Uh, basically two years prior, they had both had a dream where God came and, and told them in a dream that uh, a man was going to come, was going to come by the name of Lopua. And they said they didn't know who it was at the time, uh, which is my Turkana name. And, um, and uh, that they were going to be riding in two vehicles and they were going to come up to a, a river that, um, that had formerly been impassable and that, uh, that Lopua was going to cross the river and that God wanted them to go with him. And so wow. like, they're telling me this story and I'm like getting chills, you know, yeah. um, because that, that prayer that you pray that God will go before you and prepare the people you're supposed mm-hmm. to work with. It was a real, real like tangible example of that. Oh, that's phenomenal. That. that is really mm-hmm. phenomenal to hear. And even just an honor that you would, get the blessing of have someone speak that vision over your life and your ministry as it begins. Not, not very many missionaries get that type of experience when they, when they show up in a location. No, <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that's really cool. Not. It also well, so, speaks to one of the values in DMM and that um, DMM is, is supposed to be driven by prayer and driven by the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. Yeah, so let's let's come let's come to that. So, uh, you know, I I asked it earlier, but we were talking about it at a couple other points. Like, 
what is your definition of disciple making movements dmm uh we got we touched on this over two episodes with joe clough um and one thing i learned from joe clough is that each practitioner of disciple making movements kind of has their own flavor uh, or definition for it so how how do you define it yeah so um <clears throat> i guess for for me uh if i was to put it like super simply mm-hmm. that disciple making movements at the heart is kind of a micro micro reformation of the church, right? So it's a return back to Christ's model. uh, If we put it really simple. So the way, the way I would say that is disciple making movements is doing what Jesus did the way Mm -hmm. Jesus did it. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, it was really popular. The WWJD movement, right? What would Jesus do? And then yeah. a couple of years ago, the Global Leadership Summit got a lot of churches really hyped about uh, focusing on the why, right? The what I think mm-hmm. they called it your your white hot why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is kind of bringing that full circle and saying, okay, doing what Jesus did is important, and mm-hmm. knowing why you're doing it and why he did it is important. Um, but his example and how he did it is just as important because um, I think a lot of hurt can and has been caused when we do what what jesus did but not how he did it right yeah yeah i get that for sure so with that you mentioned holy spirit driven um Mm. there and in that story that that's really kind of highlights one of the principles of disciple making movements um yeah so it's prayer saturated Mm -hmm. holy spirit driven and then what, what would be some of the other points that you would want to touch on with that or when you're sharing with some of your supporters about what your ministry looks like? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> basically, again, sir, um, talking about Christ's example, right, mm-hmm. um, is that it comes down to one-on-one and group discipleship, right? Okay. And yeah. so um, he, he, modeled, um, he modeled for us in a lot of different ways both one-on-one discipleship, three-on-one discipleship, Mm -hmm. 12-on-one, right? And so there's these kind of different examples of his um, discipleship. There's also examples of him preaching to hundreds, preaching to thousands, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I would say with, uh, for me personally as a practitioner, that kind of drives where I dedicate my time, uh, where Mm -hmm. the gospels, how the gospels kind of show how Christ dedicated or prioritized his time is how I try to prioritize my time. So, you know, he spent very little time preaching to thousands. It did happen. Um, yeah. But then uh, most of his time was spent with uh, a select few. And so mm-hmm. um, with our, our disciple making movement, uh, what we do is again, um, Holy spirit driven prayer saturated. And um, it's also centered around, one-on-one discipleship as well as community discipleship. And so mm-hmm. one of, one of the, um, <clears throat> one of the big things we do is we, we ultimately, as we disciple people within a community, we disciple them to reach their own people. Um, mm-hmm. And so instead of us going into a community and trying to, uh, disciple or plant a church personally, um, we reach out to a person of peace, which Joe talked about and yeah. your your spots with Joe. We we ultimately disciple a person of peace who mm-hmm. then 
reaches his entire community for the gospel. They're not meant to be the the sole consumer of the gospel. They're meant to accept the gospel, but then pass it on. And it even would be maybe before they become a full follower of Christ, they're sharing the the gospel message in some form uh, with folks through things like the practice of discovery Bible studies, right? Am I getting this right? Yeah, absolutely. So a perfect example of that is one of our, one of my guys, his name's Michael Away. And uh, Michael Away, he was 19 when I first met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <clears throat> I first met him uh, doing my rounds as a language learner, mm-hmm. met him at some of the meetings. But then um, I started working with a group of guys, a specific group of guys I had chosen in a specific region. And um, Michael came to uh, the kind of when we were starting our our first times michael came to my first dbs amongst my guys um and so one of the ways one of the things i do is um with my disciples i practice the same things that i'm going to ask them to practice and so Mm -hmm. everything we do together is an example right yeah so we do dbs's together in the very same way that they're going to be facilitating and so michael how many guys how many guys would that be in that group that you're setting the example for? So that time, uh, so it's different. Uh, okay. it's always, it's always different. A lot of times I like to focus with families as much as possible. If I can disciple both a husband and wife at the same time, um, that's ideal to see a, a God ordained kind of God ordained group in and of itself within a family. Yeah. Right. And yeah. see the two of them become disciple makers together is, is beautiful. But so it, oh, cool. it kind of varies. In this specific area, I had five uh, five guys at okay. the time, and then Michael Woy showed up to our group, and so it became six. Okay. Um, so so basically, the way it worked was we were doing a DBS, we were having chai, and Michael Woy was sitting outside of our circle, um, mm-hmm. and we so we invited him into the circle to have chai. You know, I think you know a little bit about African culture yeah. when there's yeah. food, when there's food, they will come. Yeah. Um, I think we can say that's kind of American culture too, but it is. Yeah, we had certain friends uh, in our early years of marriage that that would always show up whenever there it was dinner time. It was just it just happened like that. I don't know how uninvited they just knew. No matter if we were cooking from dinner, like if dinner was ready at five thirty or at seven thirty, they'd showed up magically at the right time, and we didn't tell them. So same way know, in East right? Africa. <laughs> so so yeah, uh, Michael Way shows up. Enjoying chai kind of participates in our conversation because our groups are very question based, um, mm-hmm. you know, discovery based. So there's no teacher in the groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we use a, a list of questions that help hold people accountable to what scripture says. But we discover scripture together as a community just based on the responses to, to questions. So he participated. And then when the chai was done, he kind of took off and mm-hmm. I asked the guys, hey, you know, remind me of this guy's name. They said, Oh, it, that's Michael Awoy. Um, I said, um, is he in one of your guys' churches? And they said, no, r- remember he's one of the guys who sits under that tree. And what they mean by that mm-hmm. is there's a specific tree where the drunkard drunkards sit uh-huh. together and drink all yeah. day. Um, and so, uh, they were telling me this guy's not a Christian. Um, and they, they said, you know, this isn't who you want for something like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, 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 guys, we've missed a point somewhere, right? So right. we went back, we looked at Jesus and his words um, that it's not a, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, we looked at the story of the man healed of the legion of demons that um, 
that when he went back to the people who saw him before, um, that all heard the gospel and all believed yeah. the gospel because of his testimony. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we all agreed that he was the kind that we needed for something like that. And Michael, he kept showing up and, wow. um, it was only about a month and a half in or so that, uh, he came back. And one of the things we do, we first do in our groups is we share testimonies of what God has done the week before. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about how we obeyed the scripture we studied before and also who we've shared it with. And we tell the, the real-time testimonies of what God's done in that week. And Michael uh, Awoy, a drunkard, uh, comes back one week and says, I led church. And we're all like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. He, 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 I said, tell us more, you know? And so he goes on to tell us the story of how he visited the local church. And when I say church, I'm talking about a group of people under a tree. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said that he went to, to the local church there in his community and found that there was no one, no pastor there, that the pastor who had planted it had gone on to plant a new church hmm. um, and that no, no one there was literate. And so uh, no one could read the scriptures. So they were praying and they were singing songs, but, uh, and it was a newly planted church, but there was no one there to te- teach the scriptures. And so he says, uh, he says, but I had the scriptures memorized that we had studied together. Uh, and so, <laughs> so, awesome. you know, so then he, he led a DBS ultimately with wow. this church of about 36 people is what he told me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he split them into groups and he cited and recited the scripture. And then he told them to, you know, retell the scripture in their own words and their groups. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so their group took turns doing that and, and they shared kind of as a big group. And then he asked the next question mm-hmm. they discussed in their groups and then share it all in the bigger group. <laughs> and, uh, and so, was he, was he sauced this whole time that he's actually preaching to? <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. Yeah. So that's yeah. A, he, yeah. he, you know, at this point he's still not a Christian, right? And right. So yeah. This just, is awesome. He's just dwelling on the wisdom of the word and seeing ultimately mm-hmm. seeing what God is doing through his acts of obedience. Right. Yeah. So he comes back and he tells us testimony and the rest of my guys, many of them in, in that group were pastors were like, Whoa. Right. Yeah, um, sure. And so, so um, Michael kept leading that church of 36 uh, mm-hmm. over the course of the next few months. And I ended up inviting him to an official disciple making training that mm-hmm. I did alongside another practitioner in Lodwar later that year and cool. it was at that time he told me that he, he he knew he wanted to be a disciple maker and that he wanted to follow jesus wow um, and so uh he went back to his congregation uh, to tell him that he wanted to be baptized the hmm. congregation he'd been uh he'd been facilitating right yeah and yeah he said well we were never baptized the the pastor left before we were ever baptized and so about five months into his journey Michael away and his uh, his um, congregation of like 36 people were all baptized together. Right. That so, is so cool, man. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. And that, that definitely is a testament to that Holy Spirit driven aspect of not questioning who is listening, not questioning who is a part of a discovery Bible study or who ultimately God is going to use to, multiply a disciple making movement. Uh, that's pretty amazing. So where is Michael at now uh, in things? Is he still participating uh, in the disciple making movement there among the Turkana? Yeah. So that's a great question. Michael, um, now he actually ended up going to our, 
Turgana Bible Training Institute here okay. in Lodwar. Um, mm. Our team founded a, actually Kip Lines was a big part of helping found um, the Bible Training Institute and getting it set up here in yeah. Lodwar. And so he ended up attending after that time. So okay. he's now uh, he's now officially an ordained pastor. But mm-hmm. he, um, uh, so now four four of the six guys he used to sit under the tree with drinking are now uh, four of his disciples he has six disciples wow four of which are those the the drunkards who used to sit with him under the tree <laughs> he's planted two churches through the replication of his groups as the groups that he's facilitating and his congregation are are leading uh, in their everyday lives yeah they keep multiplying they've they've planted two other churches so wow um, yeah it's pretty pretty amazing yeah that truly is amazing that truly is amazing now hearing you just mentioned the turkana bible training institute tbti Mm -hmm. um helps me come back to a touch point that joe and i talked on uh in that partnering model with the churches that Christian Missionary Fellowship started back in the day, the community Christian churches up in Turkana. How did they receive this kind of shift in focus and outreach with disciple making movements? It's an institutional church of sorts. Mm -hmm. It has kind of a certain flavor of maybe even recognizable church for many of us here in the West. Um, how was that received with the disciple making model and continuing with this idea of using people like Michael, uh, to move the gospel forward? Was it, was there some, some good collaboration or was there a lot of tension around that time? Yeah. So there's, there's both, um, Mm. you know, uh, I think, um, when you're bringing about change, especially there's always going to be that tension. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and like I kind of said, when, when I did choose Michael, uh, and invited him to follow us, uh, as we followed Christ, right. That there were several pastors in the area who did say, um, you know, why'd you pick this guy? He's a drunkard. He's not who mm-hmm. you wanted, right. Mm-hmm. He's not who you want for something like this. Um, so there's, there's been, uh, mixed results and, um, I think, uh, in the very beginning, there was a lot more hesitation towards it. And then once the, the fruit began to, um, present itself, uh, it became a little bit less, um, a little bit less, uh, a little bit harder to deny, right. Seeing the Holy spirit move that way. And, um, a great, a great example of that is we had one pastor, um, his name's Simon, Lobey mm-hmm. and he he at first um was resistant to it um and came to one of our trainings in his area and was resistant to it but his son got caught on fire his son is 14 and his son now leads a discovery bible study in their community and um on Saturdays and then and these are all youth so these are all yeah. like 11 11 to 18 year olds Mm-hmm. Um, who are then they, they study scripture together. Then they go into their surrounding communities, um, leading community, uh, leading discovery Bible studies and, and Simon's all about it now. Uh, That's right. cool. And yeah. His seeing his, kind of seeing his son get into it 
really was the genesis for him then saying, okay, this is something that uh, we need to be doing too. Yeah. Um, and I always say, you know, for a church, a congregation or a person in general to make the paradigm shift, because that's really what's happening, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're seeing a paradigm shift from a more traditional uh, institutional, um, more expected version of what church has always been for us right. towards a more organic, um, more Christ-like model of mm-hmm. what it what it looks like um so that paradigm shift takes time mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times in our experience it takes multiple exposures not just um you know you go to a training and boom um and right. so you've got to be willing um, to just uh be patient as people go mm-hmm. you know walk that journey alongside you and they're they're learning so yeah well i'd love to know when it comes to your own personal ministry, mm. are you more in a training role? You've mentioned that a couple of times. Like, are you the are you one of the primary people that's training the facilitators and pastors who want to try to implement this, uh, or do you have some of your own discovery Bible studies going on still, uh, or is that something you did early on and now you just do the training piece? How what is your day-to-day or your weekly or monthly rhythm look like when it comes to disciple making movements and trying to implement this model and strategy training or doing a lot of it facilitating on your own? Yeah. So, um, it depends entirely on the region. So we, Mm -hmm. we do, um, we are helping to catalyze movements in several different regions in Kenya, not just Turkana. We do have, we do have, um, we have like six regions we're targeting, specifically in Turkana, uh, but we have areas in Western Kenya. We have areas, you know, I have youth leaders who are trying to see uh, movements develop amongst their youth who are down working with the Maasai or the Samburu uh, across the lake, uh, across from us. Uh, So Samburu and Marsabit County are opposite us on Turkana Lake. And so, um, so we, we have, uh, you know, several different regions we're focusing on. So one of the biggest challenges ultimately is <clears throat> to track the progress of all of these different movements, right. And knowing what different places need at different times. Um, but yeah. so, um, so that process kind of looks like, um, first kind of choosing your first disciples, right. Discipling them along mm-hmm. Uh, living alongside them. And one of the things I will say is I still lead, I still facilitate groups of my own and I still disciple, um, have my own disciples while uh, at the same time, there are certain regions where uh, I've almost stepped out completely and I'm just coaching, Mm -hmm. coaching my original guys. Right. So I used to, I was the primary trainer and, and then uh, ultimately about seven of my original I had 19 disciples that I originally worked with, um, and about seven of them <clears throat> are now doing the the level one training completely on their own. Um, cool. Oh, that's that awesome. So in Turkana, uh, especially, um, mm-hmm. I'm not doing, ultimately I don't do any of the trainings anymore. So, wow. um, cause they're far, they're far better than me, honestly, yeah. right. They yeah. don't have the cultural, uh, dissonance and they don't have mm-hmm. the difference that, uh, language barrier. Um, and so, so, uh, but with that being said, 
the one of the reasons why I continue to do groups myself, even though and disciple um, bring on disciples of my own is because I believe <clears throat> I believe that when you're discipling someone, um, your example, you know, you actually living out what they, you want them to do speaks far more than anything you could teach them. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe that my my everyday life has to model exactly what um, mm-hmm. I'm wanting wanting them to do. And yeah. So, um, and and largely in the way Jesus did with his disciples. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, but, my everyday is a mixture of um, one on one discipleship, uh, facilitating groups. My wife also uh, I've been coaching my wife that she's learning, still learning the process and all that. Mm-hmm. And she has. Um, she has a couple groups of her own that have already given birth to seven groups out of, out of the wow. groups that she facilitates. So yeah. And that's since January. So what? Um, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, it's pretty, pretty cool. Stuff. So you're in Lodwar, you're up in Turkana land. How are you finding those connections to these other, you said six, uh, areas or six people groups. Mm-hmm. So it, what is, how are you making those connections? Is it through uh, community Christian church? Is it through the CMF, uh, Kenya field team, or are there some other avenues that you're using kind of that spirit driven, uh, avenue, uh, for implementing these strategies of disciple making movements with these other groups? How's, how's that coming about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, most of them are connected with the CCC, a large, a vast majority of them, um, Mm -hmm. which is our, our CMF church partner mm-hmm. um because they have over 300 churches throughout kenya and wow. so they're yeah. they're a great resource but uh a lot of that comes from my connections with the their youth ministry which those leaders are chosen um those le- leaders are chosen for me by the um by their church structure the people choose who's going to be like their youth overseers in different regions and different mm-hmm. cl- clusters and so um whoever shows up to those meetings is who uh, I get to work with. Okay. Um, but then the other way that that is also, um, like I said, just spirit led, um, spirit led as introductions get, get made. One of the guys that I work with now, uh, it's a, it's a great example of this. Um, there was, <clears throat> there was one, one of my decide, one of my first guys that I started working with back in 2017, his name's Peter, um, who's on fire for discipleship already. Um, I just started walking alongside him and giving him some extra tools. Um, mm-hmm. but he was studying a, a version of a disciple making movement that was more focused on de- <clears throat> developing leaders, more, a more traditional version. And so, um, I read all those books and learned that method so that I could help him on, on that. Didn't mm-hmm. necessarily want to convert him to my version. He, he already had his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but through him and coaching him, I met another guy that was mentoring him. His name was Hannington, who was the executive director of this um, program that he was, he was working with. Um, and Hannington began to see, um, see the fruit of Peter's ministry wow. increase exponentially, basically, mm-hmm. um, from where it had been mm-hmm. uh, over the the year that he was working with him. And so he was really intrigued by the differences that he was starting to to employ. And so he started asking me, asking me questions. And 
over the course of a few months, he and I started getting a little bit close, <clears throat> closer, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> um, what ended up happening, Hannington, who is also the bishop of his local church, um, invited, invited me to come do a training using mm-hmm. our method. One of the big things he was interested in is how our method allowed for <clears throat> people who were illiterate yeah. to still make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the things that really challenged him that um, the method he was teaching was um, very heavily literacy based. And so right. it had great, great limitations for specific areas. Mm-hmm. And so he invited me to come do a training and I did a training down there. This was after he asked over the course of like six months. Mm-hmm. So finally, because generally speaking, I don't, um, I don't just say yes to everyone. Right. And so right. But he kept calling and we had good conversations. And so o- over the course of about six months, um, he convinced me to come down and do a training. And so me and Peter, who he was working with, mm-hmm. um, as, uh, as well as four other guys from my training team, my other guys that I was discipling went down and did his, uh, a training there. And, um, this was in Western Kenya mm-hmm. and, um, about so then after that time decided i was going to work with and disciple hannington one-on-one um and basically after the training he he called called me one day and said that he was so convicted by the training and by um the differences um in the methods that he had decided to step down as the executive director what uh, multinational organization he was a part of and decided to step down as a bishop so that he had more time to do one-on-one discipleship. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. It, it was absolutely, absolutely um, wild. Uh, The, the steps of obedience that he took and humbling, right. Mm -hmm. Um, He was well taken care of, you know, he was wealthy by Kenyan standards and decided to walk away from all that in order to make disciples. So, um, so that was one way, you know, I, that was actually through one of my disciples um, that I ended up working with him. And he now has, um, he now has over 2,500 groups um, within his um, generations, we call them, yeah. within his generations of disciples. So it's 2,500 groups, That's... 2,500 groups. And I'll clarify. We we always I try to always clarify. This is 2,500 groups that have started. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, DBS or disciple making groups are never necessarily intended to go on forever because ultimately, if if it's working, um, the members are going to end up going and facilitating their own Mm -hmm. groups and replicating that, multiplying out their own rights. Mm -hmm. So um, he's had 2,500 groups start. Um, that's not to necessarily say that every single week there are now 2,500 right. groups going on in Western, if that makes I, sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that helps differentiate again from something that Joe mentioned in the previous episodes between a church planting movement and a disciple making movement is that mm. church planting mo- movements, you know, you are hoping for 2,500 churches uh, to get started and those are going to mm. continue to exist uh, 2,500 disciple making movement groups meeting are going to continue to divide and replicate, divide and replicate. And so it will end up being much bigger than the 2,500. 
but it will take on a different format because it's not tied to kind of our our traditional institutional definition of what church would be in one location with one certain body of people. Now, I I think that really helps unpack the idea. I was so grateful to have my conversation with Joel on disciple-making movements. I was particularly struck by Joel's statement that Jesus's ministry serves as a model for us today that what Jesus did and how he did it are important examples for the church to really understand discipleship. I also appreciate Joel's intentionality in ministry and his recognition that everything he does and every interaction he has serves as an example for how to do ministry for the leaders he is training. Keep a lookout for the second part of my conversation with Joel, where we dive into the nuts and bolts of Discovery Bible Studies you will come away equipped to start your own DBS groups and be inspired to step out and actually try it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fellowship Podcast. Now get out there and connect with what God is doing in the world around you.